0: Welcome to Success Secrets Exposed with Sally A. Curtis, where we share stories of challenge, success, and inspiration, along with practical tips and strategies to move you forward to your success. And now, here's your host, Sally A. Curtis. Good morning, good evening, and good day to you. Welcome to a very, very exciting show today. We're going to be talking about all things, the magic of clarity. So have you ever found yourself stuck With lots and lots of ideas and possibilities, but you just don't know where to start or how to get things moving. Well, we're going to be talking about just that sticky mess and how you can get yourself out of it by understanding the magic of clarity. Now, my guest today is Gary Edwards, who has been one of the most influential uh, mentors uh, to me, in my business, and my life. He has helped me craft the business that I actually have today. Um, he has also just won uh, the Niven Award, which is one of the most prestigious awards in our speaking industry. So, I just wanted to share a little bit with you and give you a little bit of a teaser. So, for those that are new to the show and I yet. To, I'm yet to meet you, um, my role is as a marketing and business development strategist, specifically for speakers, coaches, and consultants. And the way that we specialize, or the work that I specialize in, is content repurposing and LinkedIn conversation strategies. And this is designed to help you and help me to help you amplify your voice, your message, and your impact. But now let me share a little bit more about how Gary has actually helped me. And for those that can see my eyes darting down, I actually do have a large uh, sheet of notes of all the ways that Gary has actually helped me. Um, And I've got highlighter written, all scribbled all over it as well. So to give you a bit of an idea, now Gary has helped me um, because his thing is in actual fact simplicity and clarity. He's helped me simplify my voice. Uh, sorry, simplify, simplify my words, find my me- voice, find my message. He's also helped me create visual models to help me express ideas and concepts clearly. And he's also helped me craft my programs. So, without any further ado, and with huge welcome, please welcome Gary Edwards to the show, who has had the most uh, amazing impact on my business um, and is going to share some of those insights with you today. So, Gary, over to you. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Sally, and thank you for those very kind words. I'm very happy to help you as you have helped me.
0: Yes, thank you very much. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure, and I love uh, spending time with Gary. And sort of, I always say to him, Gary, I love your brain, just the way he uh, uh, simplifies things. Because I think personally, I overcomplicate so much. And I think this is something that um, coaches and speakers and consultants do do when they get started. We do overcomplicate things incredibly. And um, so, Gary, can I ask you to tell us a little bit more about your intriguing backstory and how it. Led uh, to what you do and um, how you do things now, please.
1: Sure, thank you, Sally. So, um, hi everyone. Um, I'm I'm essentially a communication coach and speaker, uh, and I just really like helping people to communicate more effectively, and in particular, to be more influential. As Sally said before, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're stuck, uh, and to me, that that particular area of being stuck is not knowing what to say next, not knowing what is the next thing to do or say that will help you to move forward or to help you to make a sale or to have some influence over the situation. So I've always been fascinated by that side of things about what we say, how we say it, uh, and how we put our point of view across in a way that gets a result that either is what we want or is what, what we as a group want. And so, my background I used to be a lawyer many years ago. I uh, worked in uh, Adelaide in uh, civil and commercial litigation for about 10 years. I started working in a law firm when I was uh, still at university. Uh, Growing up, I always, you know, you you come up with a number of things you want to be, but ultimately, I decided I wanted to be either a lawyer or a teacher. So, I started life as a lawyer. Uh, I spent about 10 years doing that. And of course, as a lawyer, you learn lots of things about communication and there is no greater communication challenge that I've faced in my life than going into a courtroom and Mm -hmm. trying to win a case Um, because not only do you have a, you know, you think you've got a good idea of what your case is, but then there's another person who's arguing the complete opposite. So mm. your ability to get from where you are to where you'd like to be, uh, there's someone standing in the way and they're trying to take the decision maker or a judge or a jury, they're trying to take them in a completely different direction. Mm. So so that's a really uh, strong lesson to learn. So I mm. spent about 10 years uh, as a lawyer. Then I got into education and um Uh, I spent seven years with the University of South Australia teaching young lawyers who had their law degree, but they then had to do a 12-month program on the practical skills of being a lawyer. So I was teaching them how to prepare a case and present it in court, how to negotiate, how to communicate effectively, how to resolve conflict, etc. I also spent some time in that uh, period uh, doing various research projects, largely with the police department, including one which was uh, with hostage negotiators. So, we had hostage negotiators from around Australia. Uh, we got them in a room and we asked them, How do you do your job? And how do you know that you're doing your job well? And yeah. uh, we spent two days just sort of sucking that stuff out of their head and writing it down, uh, which is then used to train uh, new hostage negotiators. Uh, And the other thing that's uh, an intriguing part about me, um, it's kind of just been part of my life, but it's always a bit of a surprise to everyone else, is that I'm also a professional magician, not musician, I can't play a note, but magician. So I started doing magic when I was about seven years old, as most magicians I know did, you start as a little kid. Um, and as I grew up, I started doing uh, corporate shows and 50th birthday parties and that kind of thing. I was never a children's magician. I used to go out and do um, uh, adult functions of one form or another. And the interesting thing about that, Sally, is that uh, at the age of seven or eight or nine, when you do a trick that fools adults, uh, it's a really interesting insight into the way in which people think and make decisions and all of a sudden you've done something as a child that has fooled supposedly smart adults. Mm-hmm. And that just gave me a real insight very early on in my life about how we communicate, how we make decisions, and how our thinking process works.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Um, and you often talk about how that um, that complexity or I suppose it's the simplicity in magic, um, but it looks complex and that's where it's actually fooling people. So tell us a little bit about um, how that magic and all of the experience you've had has helped you really sort of fine-tune that complex into simple, if you can.
1: Yes. Uh, As a magician, and certainly as a young magician, you you like to do clever things, and you like to do complex things, and you practice clever things, Uh, and and it's kind of a nerdy hobby, and so you learn all sorts of clever things, and then you realize that the clever stuff makes no real difference to the audience, they they don't care that much, and so you end up doing things extremely simply, and I had a mentor here in Adelaide who um, was not the most technically clever magician around, but he was very popular, and very uh, skilled at engaging an audience. And so I learned a lot from him. And there is a saying in magic from um, a very old magician, one of the greats, his name is Di Vernon. And he said, uh, in magic, confusion is not magic. And what he meant by that is if you're showing something to an audience and they can't follow what you're on about and they don't know where it started and then what happened, um then when you get to the end and it's supposedly the big surprise they won't be surprised because they didn't really understand what was going on in the first place mm-hmm. so confusion is not magic and there's a there's a little saying around that and, and i i've been uh, this is a real compliment if someone says this to you which mm-hmm. is that as a magician uh, people say about me that i the saying is that i work clean work clean mm-hmm. in other words what you show to people is simple clean and clear and uh, there's no mess and fuss. There's no, there's no unnecessary moves. Uh, you don't drop things, etc. cetera. Uh, and that's, so again, that's something that i kept in mind when it comes to communication. Uh, I think from that and also from my early years as a lawyer, you just learn to keep things simple. And when things are simple, you know, if they're not simple, people can't understand them. And if they can't understand them, then you've, you've got no chance. Um, I remember being at law school and one of the things about being at law school is that you read lots of uh, Supreme Court and High Court judgments. So you're reading lots of complex legal cases Mm -hmm. and the judges that write them are very clever people and they write extremely well and they can write very long sentences that are grammatically correct and legally correct and you sort of admire that level of skill. But Mm -hmm. then I came across uh, a judge in South Australia in particular whose name was Justice Boland. And he wrote the most simple sentences ever, like three-word sentences. He mm. did not try to uh, be clever about it. He just wrote really simple language. Mm. And I remember looking at it going, are you allowed to do that? I thought I thought you had to show how clever you were. I didn't yeah. know that you could just do things simply. And so he was a great inspiration for me uh, to just keep it simple because otherwise there's no magic in it.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So I, I, you've just, you've given me an aha moment of the, uh, the I'll call it the cluttered mess uh, and uh, the persona that was Sally, where I wanted to be clever, I wanted to be able to have long sentences with big words in it that I could, that I would trip over, and all those sorts of things. That so it was never clean, it was always cluttered, it was always confusing, um, and I know how much you've taken my stuff back and it really helped me simplify and uh, gain clarity over uh, the steps and the process. Processes and then obviously the voice and, and very much the, to create that compelling message. So, how do you define clarity? What is clarity?
1: Clarity is the ability to see what the other person's saying, not just to hear it. Uh, commu- I, I say this a lot to people. Communication. We think communication is about words because mm. that's what we do. We use words to communicate. We haven't yet been able to work out how to read people's minds, so we still use words to communicate. Communication is not really about words. It's really about pictures and feelings. And we use words to create pictures. And those pictures generate a feeling. And that feeling is then uh, the basis on which we make a decision. So if we are a consultant and we were trying to sell our services to someone, then we have to create a picture in their mind about what the service might do for them, how, how much it will be, how long it will take, how hard or easy it will be so that they end up with a feeling and that you want that feeling to be essentially you want it to be, okay, I can do that or that's a good idea, let's do that. And if I said to you, Sally, uh, I know you've got a busy afternoon, if I said to you, hey, Sally, can you spend two hours of your time this afternoon to help me, well, you've already got a very clear picture in your head about what your afternoon looks like Mm -hmm. and now I've tried to insert my picture into that but you don't know what my picture of what the afternoon looks like is going to be. So you're very uncertain and unclear about what I'm asking you to do and you're very clear about what you already had planned and so you're more likely to say no. Uh, so if I want to uh, find a way to help you or get you to help me, I'm going to have to be a whole lot clearer about that. So I think clarity is about that picture that we paint in other people's minds and that's why you know simplicity and clarity are just two sides of the same coin. Unless yeah. you've got a simple message that is easy to understand, uh, and I've seen this so many times, unless the message is simple, people will just reject it straight away because they go just too hard. It might have a good message, it might be a really great idea, but it's just too hard to understand it, so I won't bother.
0: Yeah, and that and that's where you create the pause point in the client's um, mind that you've um, you're not easy to buy. Therefore, they don't get it. They're in that confused state, so they reject you because you haven't been easy to buy. Beautiful. So how do you go about helping people to create clarity?
1: I, uh, As you know, I sit down sometimes with uh, people who want to be speakers, and um, they have a story, they have a background, and they're saying, can I become a speaker? Can I sell this? Can I charge money to listen to me talk? Uh, I've got this background, and I've got all these ideas, and I want to talk about this and this and this. And I want to talk about mental health. And I want to talk about how to help kids. And I want to help. And they have lots of lots of great ideas. Yeah. And I say, OK, that's great. Um, now, what we've got to do is to find one message yeah. and one audience, because you might have 10 ideas or even just three. And I was talking to someone the other day. He had three or four uh, messages he wanted to get out to the world. And yeah. I don't know whether he's a, a good speaker in the sense that he's engaging and so on. And, and those skills can be developed. But I just said to him, okay, what we first need to do is you need a message, like pick one, and then we need to see if there's people that would listen to that and find the most logical audience for it. Mm. Uh, And then the third part of that puzzle is ideally you then want someone to pay you to do that if you want to uh, do it for a living. But initially you just need a message and someone who's willing to listen to it. So I always strip it back to that essentials. And essentially I sent him away and said, Work yeah. out what do you think are these four different talks that you've got, and what do you think the audiences are, and then we'll have a chat about which one you want to try first. Because yeah. you can't develop and try out four messages, you know, in four different ways. You've just mm-hmm. got to pick one and give that a try. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think there are. I, I have this little model for you know me Sally about a model for things, oh, my and um, <laughs> my model for clarity i i tell people i drive around in my car all day trying to think of little models and it's a wonder i don't have more car accidents um but i have the three s's for clarity and they are simplicity structure and story Mm -hmm. so getting the message simple um and it's not that it can't become complicated later it's not that it doesn't have depth to it and uh sometimes people have said to me so do we need to dumb down our message and i'm saying no it's not dumbing it down it's just making it simple so that people can understand it. Again, if they can't understand it, then you've uh, failed at the first step. Yes. So simplicity. Uh, yeah, there's just no connection. And, and as you said, they'll just go, well, I've got better things to do than try to understand what you're saying. Mm, so simplicity yeah. first and then structure. There are a few different structures that you can use. Um but people need to be able to see how the bits of the puzzle fit together and uh, and that gives them that picture in their mind like I was talking about before. And then the story. Uh, sometimes, you know, in, in speaking, of course, we do tell stories uh, and that's a way because a story is usually something that's pretty clear to visualise. So that's very mm-hmm. helpful. Uh, but in the broader sense of story, people just want to know when they look at you, they want to say, right, essentially what's the story? What? Who are you? What do you want from me? And so our ability to take information and turn it into a story is what I said before about taking words and turning it into a picture.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And I think um, I, I love the idea that you've come back to that um, pick, pick one because I know with, with the work that I do um, and we, where we cross, cross over a bit, you have people have such great ideas. There are often almost attached to all three of them they out of fear they want to try with uh try you know drive all three but they confuse themselves they don't they're not standing for that one thing uh, and they just get stuck wanting to do the three and i often saying i know you've heard me say you're not going to be married to this one thing forever we just need yes. to start somewhere and then you can bring the other ones in you know later and it's they also almost sort of go, oh, okay, so I still can bring these ideas? Yeah, 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 you just need to start with that one just to make it easy for you. And I, I know myself, I had multiple different uh, ideas and I uh, was trying to run them parallel and all you do is confuse yourself and burn yourself out and not make significant forward movement because you don't have that clarity in yourself to build that confidence in yourself to move forward at a, at a decent speed so that's awesome so what sort of situations does um clarity apply or gaining that clarity really apply to you, talk, you talked about speaking and you mentioned sales and, and and leadership in there as well. So give us a little bit more of oh, even probably negotiation and, and um, collaboration being very significant. So can you touch on sort of a, a little bit of each of those elements, Gary?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but very much all of those topics. I mean, people ask me who my audience is and uh, I say, well, it's kind of anyone who needs to communicate, but I spend a lot of time working with uh, leaders and managers uh, mm-hmm. who are trying to get a message across. Uh, and of course when you're trying to get a message across you you're not doing it in the, 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 uh, in, a, in a vacuum you're actually doing it to other people Ooh. and so you're trying to lead and manage a range of different people in a range of different situations. so there's already enough complexity in that uh, in that system in that interaction and so you need it to be as clear and as simple as possible it, <laughs> excuse me in order to start the ball rolling. So uh, in leadership, um, leadership is about helping people to understand where we're going and why we're going there. And uh, people need to have a very clear message around that. They need to know why we're doing this and they need to know what we're doing. Because as I say, when you've got a group of people, uh, success only comes if they all are on the same page and they're all pulling together in the same direction. Uh, And I'm doing some work at the moment with a a major government organization in South Australia who are... Um, One section of them, they're looking to change the way they do things, work more collaboratively together and uh, and uh, come up with a new a new way of doing things, but also a new slogan, if you like, for who they are and what they do. And it's very much about just keeping it simple so that everyone can buy into that vision. And you mentioned uh, collaboration as well. Collaboration is a word that everyone loves, uh, yeah. and but re- research shows that everyone likes the idea of collaboration, but no one actually wants to do it. Uh, yeah. And the risk, re- re- <laughs> <laughs> and, and every time I say that, people go, "Yeah, that sounds right." You know, I'm told I need to be collaborative, but I'm busy, and, and that's the thing. here. you know, people don't collaborate because they lack the clarity on what does collaboration mean, and what they think it might mean is. Well, what you're asking me to do is spend my time helping you achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. So collaboration means I help you and Mm -hmm. I've got things that I need to do. And also I've got uh, uh, outcomes Mm -hmm. and goals that I need to achieve because I'm being judged in some way by those. They're they're my measures of success. Mm -hmm. And so people lack the clarity about what that collaboration might look like. So uh, they'll stay where they are rather than move towards something different because it's clearer, it's just clearer to stay where I am rather than to help someone else out. And the research does show that collaboration can only happen when people get really clear about two things. The first one is when they believe that collaboration is valuable. In other words, when they understand what situation would benefit from collaboration. And secondly, what it actually involves. And what I mean by that is how much time and effort do they have to put into it? Mm -hmm. So when might it be useful to me to collaborate and how much time and effort will it involve me? Mm -hmm. And as you can tell from that, essentially then you've got a picture in your mind about, okay, I can see what this means. And then then once I've got that picture, I can have a feeling about that. I can say, okay, I feel okay about that. I feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. I think I can do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: mm-hmm. i'll just point out sally that you know in in telling you that explanation uh, and this is a little tip for readers uh mm-hmm. for listeners sorry and uh and for viewers today um what i tried to do there because i'm talking to you i'm trying to paint a picture in your mind and in the mind of your listeners and viewers mm-hmm. and so in that uh little phrase those couple of words those sentences i just used i used simplicity and structure and story to actually try to get my point across as clearly as possible. And what I said in particular was uh, there are two reasons. So I put a number on it. And when you put a number on something, uh, people get a really clear picture about it. Okay, Gary's talking about two things. Uh, I then maintained a reference to those two things. uh, And I said, first, this one, and then second, that one. And as you can see at the moment, I'm actually using my hands, this one over here, and then this one over here. So I'm separating the two things uh, from each other. So I gave them a number. I kept those two numbers together. And then when I explained each one of those two things, I gave two uh, different ways of thinking about it. So what I said was when they believe that collaboration is valuable, and then I used the phrase in other words, and I explained it in a slightly different way. Because the first sentence is perfectly clear when they believe that collaborating is valuable. So the words are clear, but the meaning is still a little bit, I'm not sure what that is on about. So I always try to, without overdoing it, I always try to, I'm always very sure that what I have said is probably not clear, probably not clear enough. So the first sentence I used, in other words, and then in the second one I said, uh, what it involves, and I used the phrase, what I mean by that. So that's some of of my favourite words, in other words, and what I mean by that. And by doing that, you just give people a second chance to listen to what you've got to say and to uh, create an understanding in their mind
0: and to hit to hear it differently so um i've often called those when i'm talking to clients bridging statements um you've got a bridging statement which helps them bridge or sense make or translate it into a way that they understand it and i know you um you do you use and talk in your training programs around these bridging statements. And and that's, um, they're often a reference point to help people, the audience that you're talking to gain greater clarity. Um, So can you just um, go through your steps again Um, because I want people to really hear and benefit from um, the steps that you've just gone. So just go through and highlight it again and sort of point out the bridging statements and just go through that again so people um, can really grasp those steps because I know how much difference that this has made in my own business.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yes, um, bridging statements is a great way to put it because, again, the word bridging, you know, it brings up a picture in your mind because it's a bridge. It's a little link between this one and this one. And what you're doing is you're saying, here's the words that I used here and here's the outcome or the understanding that I'd like. And I need a little bridge in between the two to get you from what I'm saying to what I would like you to know about this. And one thing about bridging statements as well is that you can use them at the beginning, and I did use them at the beginning of that second sentence. Um, And another little bridging statement that I used was when I said, there are two things that people need to be clear about. So I I refer to that as a sign. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account
0: with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfedorg checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers'
1: funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. time post or a little heading. So before I say, <laughs> before I say, something, you like it. Before I say something, I introduce it. Just a little introductory heading. Uh, there are two things, um, and. If you're going to tell people two things, I always recommend put that little phrase at the beginning. You know, there are three things I need to talk about or there are there are four steps to this. Um, Mm. And the interesting thing is that when and what you're doing there, by the way, when I said before about simplicity and structure and story, that's a that's a structure. When you say there are three points or there are four steps here, you're giving people a a mental list. And uh, so it's a little structure that they can that they can listen to. And they're more likely to be engaged by that. They're more likely to be engaged by the idea that there's two or three things to hear rather than just a whole range of words. So what I did again was I said there are, you know, the three steps really that I use. Uh, And by the way, each one of these steps I've realised has got the number two in it and it doesn't have to be two all the time, but I said there are two things. So the first thing is to do that bridging statement to gain people's attention. Then I maintain that reference to that number So that's called a hierarchy, you know, first and second. So there's a little hierarchy there. And so, having said there are two things, I then made sure that I said the first thing is this, and then the second thing is that. I've actually had people who kind of halfway get this, and they'll say, okay, there are two things one, blah, 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 and then B, blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) he picks up a number and a letter. Or they get, you know, there are three things and then they do one and then they do two and they forget to do three. They just start talking about three and you think, are we still on number two? Yeah. When's when number three coming? And then they go into a detailed explanation of number two and they never quite get back up to number three again.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: uh, again, uh, one way to think about it, Sally, is to think of it. Uh, and you know that I use this analogy as like an iceberg. And, you know, you, you, uh, you know, the first sentence is there are two things and then just underneath that is one and two and underneath that is a whole lot of detail that I could go into, but I won't go into it before I've explained what those one and two things are. Yeah. So the first thing I did was to number them. The second thing I did was I referred to those numbers and then the third thing that I did was when I was explaining them, I just explained them in two different ways, just mm-hmm. slightly different language. And using those little statements uh, in other words or what I mean by that is. Yeah. Um, and that just that just helps people to, uh, as you said, to make sense of it, to see it mm. and to think about it and say, I, I understand the sentence, but I don't quite know what it means. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting, yeah. yeah, the difference between understanding and knowing what it means, uh, I think two different things. Mm. We often say, oh, yeah, I get it. I understand it. And if you've got someone to repeat it back to you, they tell you something that was slightly not quite what you meant. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I've got a background as well in conflict resolution and uh, we've all been in those situations where, oh, you said this. No, no, I didn't say that. I said this. Well, well, that's what you meant. Well, that's not what I meant. Well, why didn't you say what you meant? And yeah. so we use these little phrases. I heard what you said, but I didn't understand what you meant by it.
0: There's so much amb- amb- ambiguity uh, within what I think I've said versus what you actually hear or uh, what translates to you. I've been going through an email conversation with a client at the moment and I'm looking at it um, and we're going backwards and forwards and I'm going, oh, that's what she means. And then she'll come back going, no, I actually meant that. And I'm going, okay, well, now you've actually said that. I can actually see that you could probably see that. But on first glance, because there was only three things there, I can only see it that way. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's been. Um, it's interesting when, um, and that's all around pers- uh, per- perceptions and perspectives, isn't it? So. Mm.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's a really good point because, uh, a- as a magician, um, very early on, you learn about perception, and perception is what people think, not what you did. Uh, mm-hmm. And in magic, of course, that's the point. You do certain things, but you want people to think slightly differently. So I will say to people and I will show them that I'm putting, you know, I'll do a card trick and I'm putting a card somewhere and I want them to believe that the card is lost and I have no idea where it is. But in fact, I know exactly where it is. Yeah, but, and so i about- every
0: time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it is about creating that perception. Now, yeah. one thing about that I have to say is that everyone knows the saying, perception is reality. Mm. Uh, perception is reality. And I actually disagree with that. I know what people mean by that. But perception actually hides reality. So if you're a consultant and you're really good at your job but you can't sell your message and you don't have a very clear message, you may be very good at your job but people will think you're not good at it. So their perception hides the reality of it. Um, So perception, I think, is not reality but the really key thing that's actually in there is that perception drives behaviour. So their perception of you will determine what they do so mm. it doesn't matter whether you're any good or not, it's whether they think you're any good. Mm. And, you know, Sally, to put a, to put the shoe on the other foot, you and I both know people who are not all that good at what they do, but yeah, they're very okay. good at selling a perception that they are good at what they do.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And so it's it's both, you know. You've got to have the uh, ability, which is great, um, but if people perceive you differently, their, their perception will determine their behaviour. They'll do something as a result. And right. And if it's just confusion, if they say, look, we all know the phrase a confused mind doesn't buy. If they're confused, if they don't have clarity, they'll just go somewhere else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to go just backtrack a little bit fr- uh, from a collaboration perspective. Uh, and I know we work in different ways in, in collaboration because yours is more organisational collaboration, whereas the uh, side of things that I've done more is um, individuals, consultants, speakers, etc. collaborating together. And as you said, everybody is excited by the idea or the possibility of collaboration because instinctively they're going to get something out of it so they're already sort of thinking on on the eye focus but I've really found over the years is what um or the reasons um collaborations fall over so much is because um there's that um perception again that oh I'm going to collaborate with you you're going to do this I'm going to do that the communication isn't clear one's waiting for the other one to do something the other one's waiting for the other one to do something and nothing actually gets done because there's been no clear communication as it relates to who's doing what when and what it really means And then when they get over that hurdle, they then get stuck into the hurdle, well, we've had one one really good conversation, we've nutted it all out, but then they don't continue the conversation to get the momentum to actually get the ability to be able to work together and create that magical outcome that they were going to. Can you provide some insights and some examples around um, tips to improve that process?
1: I think you're right on the money. That is the problem. And... um, most people would say, I know it's important to communicate. I know it's important to get together and work out what, when, and how. And as you say, they think they've done that and they haven't done it really all that well. Mm-hmm. I want to just put that on its head a little bit as well because um, I think what we need to do is to just totally realise that communication is a flawed process. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a bit of a blunt instrument. Mm-hmm. And so rather than saying, oh, we've had a meeting and, uh, and we've <laughs> sorted it out, What that really means is we all have good intentions. We all like each other, kind of. (laughs) We've got good intentions and we want this to work. And we think that communication is actually a really good way to do that. What we've got to do is flip that on its head and say communication is an average way of doing that, but it's the only way we've got. We don't really have another way. Like I said, we can't read each other's minds. So we just have to approach communication and say, you know what? We are probably going to mess things up here. We are probably going to misinterpret. Uh, we are, we, You know, whatever we've done that we think is so good, it's probably only 60 or 70% good. Mm. So if we assume that we don't know what's happening or if we assume that things will go wrong, then we pay more attention to the idea of making sure that we are clearer, not just from the beginning, but also through the process. And I know that when I have run um, training programs, for example, uh, and, you know, you give the group of people an exercise to do, Uh, And when I teach other people how to do this, I always say now don't give them three things to do, even though that sounds pretty clear and pretty obvious because it's just too much information, too much information for people to absorb three things and do three things. So just tell them one thing to do or possibly one thing and then this thing uh, that is joined to it. Now, I know every single time that I say to a group of people, here's one thing that I want you to do. I know that about 20 seconds into that process. They'll be confused about what are we meant to be doing and, and what what did you say, etc. And even though you scale it back to one thing, so getting back to collaboration, oh, well, we had a meeting and we sort it all out, even though you get it back to that one thing, I know that about 20, 30 seconds in, it's fallen apart because, yeah. you know, they heard different things and they're interpreting it and someone says, oh, by the way, how was your weekend? And so it just gets lost. So I deliberately, as much as I try to be clear about that one thing, Uh, and I'll write it up on the board perhaps or on a flip chart so that people can see it. But even then, I don't assume that they're looking at that. It's just a a possible uh, source of information for them. But I will deliberately interrupt them and pause about 30 seconds in and say, okay, let me just pause you here and just check how we're going because I know that it's fallen apart. I know it's likely to fall apart. And if it hasn't fallen, fallen apart for everyone, at least for some. So I'll, I'll deliberately interrupt to kind of reset what we're doing. Mm. And that's that's been one of the most useful things that I've learned to do. Yeah. Because as I say, initially I thought I've just got to stop giving them three things. I'll give them two. No, I'll just give them one. And mm. even when you give them one, and, and this is not blaming people. This is just uh, the way communication is. It's just not a great tool in a sense. It, it's yeah. a terrific tool if you use it well. So I deliberately interrupt them because I know there's probably something going wrong. There's probably miscommunication or misperception about things. Yeah. And same in that situation where you are dealing with someone, uh, you know, you can you can make a pitch to people and you'll get to the end of it and it's perfectly clear and they'll just nod their head and you go, do you want to buy it? Are we moving ahead? And it's just kind of, it's just you know literally gone in one ear and out the other. Yeah. So yeah, it is, and as you know, I'm a. I, I like to uh, say to people to to uh, be very visual. Uh, we we know that we can be visual in the sense of putting things in writing, sending an email, and so on. Uh, but I actually think uh, as much as possible uh, reduce the plan to one piece of paper. I'm yeah. uh, I'm very uh, low tech in that sense. Uh, yeah. I draw, as you know, I draw pictures on the whiteboard and so on. Take a photo of that. Create one diagram. Uh, because like I said before, communication isn't words, it's pictures and, uh, create that one diagram and then you have it in front of you and you bring that diagram along to the next meeting and everyone can sit there and look at it and say, oh, you've been doing that bit. Well, I've been doing that bit. Mm -hmm. And I've been in so many meetings where you, you sit there and the conversation swirls around and, and you go, you're talking about two different things here. And so mm. I've done a quick little diagram on a piece of paper and mm. I've said, I think you're doing this bit and I think he's talking about that bit. Are you right? And then she says, yeah, that's right. So, yeah,
0: yeah. And that's, um, I've always loved, and I think that's when I get the giddiest the most, where I've got the, what I'm gonna call, looks like a bowl of spaghetti. And there's stuff going everywhere. Um, I used to refer to it as a ball of string in the swimming pool, but you just don't know where the ends are. It was all in the middle. So that was Sally with all of our content and all of our stuff going everywhere, no one could get hold of it, the piece of string. They were just wondering whether it was even safe to jump in, whereas you've actually go, okay, well, it's it's X it's and it's Y. Um, and the visual um, models that you create are, s- are so simple with usually, as you said, the steps that you've got in there, which just gives people the the cognition that they go, okay, yep, I can see the bigger picture, which is the bigger model. And as you said, you you can then identify, well, yes, I'm over here and you're over there, so how do we get back to the middle? Um, And that's one thing I've loved is your ability to take the very, very complex idea or concept and put it into a very simple uh, model structure that people can follow along with uh, that makes it easy for them to understand and, and come, uh, come along the journey with you.
1: Well, Sally, uh, John Eels is a former Australian rugby league captain, and uh, since he uh, retired, he's been a, a leadership coach. And he just has a great phrase, which is that as leaders, uh, and, and whether we are in a leadership position, we are always trying to lead people in the sense of uh, influence them and change and get them to do things, et cetera. And he just said this great phrase. He said, we need to make the complex simple and the simple compelling. The mm. complex simple and the simple compelling. And because getting to simplicity on its own is not kind of enough. Yeah. Uh, when you've got simplicity, it leads to clarity. And compelling means that they, the person will take action. So we yeah. can simplify things all we like, but if no one does anything about it. So that's yeah. where I think in between the simplicity and the compelling, you get that clarity. And the clarity is not just I understand it, it is now I understand it and I want to do something about it. And um, uh, I've found uh, I can give uh, your uh, listeners and viewers today um, uh, one of those little structures because when you said about you know the the ball of uh, spaghetti in the in the swimming pool, um, not only am I looking to simplify it and trying to find the beginning of this bit of string or to try and find the key message, but as you know, I have a few models and frameworks or structures in my head. Um, and uh, I just apply them, and I it, it's a bit like being a doctor. You know, you go to a doctor and you say, "Oh, this is happening, this is happening," and they've got a bit of an idea of in their head about well, this disease looks like this, and this disease looks like that. So you've got some little patterns in your head, and you're applying a pattern to that situation, and you're saying, "Is it? Is it, Does it fit this pattern, or does it fit that one?" And so that's part of what I'm doing as well. And one of the patterns that I use is a, a one called format, which is built four and then MAT, and it's just the four questions, uh, why, what, how, and what if. So why why is this important? What's the key point? How does it work? And the what if means what happens if I do it? So what's the outcome? And so when I look at someone's information or a, a document or a, a speech or whatever it might be, I'm actually looking for the answers to those four questions. And in particular, the why, what, and how. Because yeah. a lot of the time people have they have a lot of what, this is what I want to say and what this is what I think. And I say to them, okay, why is this important to anyone? And that's where you get stuck because they go, well, no, no, I, I just want to tell people what I know. Yeah, but why would they want to listen to it? And then the how is, okay, that's what you want them to know. How will they use that? How can they apply that to their life? And, again, they say, I, I haven't figured that out. All I know is that this is important and I need them to know it. So, in particular, why, what, and how is just a little <laughs> It's just a good little framework. It's a little structure that you can find in in information.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um, And you also taught, because I know that's been such a significant thing uh, for me, and um, as it relates to the format structure in a keynote versus coaching, you actually use the same formula or use. Still use the same format process, but you actually use it uh, differently. We've got a couple of minutes. Do you want to share a little bit around that, or would you like to dive into uh, what compelling really means? Because I know that's oh, a, bit a, a
1: bit of both, different. really. Um, so, uh, keynotes are you know, keynotes are why and what. Why why is this important? And what do I think you should do? So, why is kind of like the context? What's happening in the world? Uh, yeah. So, what's happening around us? So, why why are you listening to me? And then what do I need to do? And then when you go into training or coaching, you've got to add the how. So in a 40-minute session, you know, 45-minute keynote, you can't get into a lot of detail. You talk about the world at large or the world that they live in, so the why, and then you talk about the what and some steps that they could take, but in broad terms. And then in, then in training and coaching, you can get into the how. And, and compelling, as I said, is really about, well, uh, there, there's a great phrase. When I, when I taught um, young lawyers how to be lawyers, so I was able to teach them how to, how to get a judge to do what they want, you know, make the right decision as far as they were concerned. And so people would say to me, oh, so you can teach people how to be persuasive. And I said, well, yes, but here's the difference. Persuasive, mm-hmm. if you have a persuasive argument, it means the other person can say yes to that. So persuasive means they can say yes but compelling means they can't say no. Right. Yeah. And so when you get simplicity and clarity, you're beyond persuasive. You're actually into compelling, and it just becomes something that they go, "I, I just have to do this. I can't say no to it." Mm-hmm. So that's the key difference there.
0: Yeah. So compelling is that hell yeah, I have to do this. It's that no brainer. It's that that uh, emotive feeling within them that they just have to do it because they just can't say no. It. They just must.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, sometimes, it, you know, it's not, it sounds sometimes as though you're forcing people, you know, compelling them, making them do it, but it's not that. It's really, um, uh, people have to believe it themselves. You, you can't be compelling uh, just by forcing and pushing people into it. And I think these days, uh, you know, post-COVID and so on, people are looking for a compelling story. They're looking for a compelling vision because we all sort of sat back, we had to sit back for a few months and look at the world around us and then we say, right, what are we going to do differently now? And, and, you know, I don't feel the same as I did before. And mm-hmm. so people are looking for a compelling vision or a compelling story or a compelling message that they can follow rather than just the same old persuasive do it my way, you know, my way is better than yours.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's um, what I hear in that, and I know as we've talked um, at different times around this, compelling is actually giving people the choice of what they want to do next, but the choice becomes an automatic choice that, yes, they go into that process, whereas one's force, one is flow, and it's the flow of them choosing what
1: they're doing next. Which- and, and that's exactly right, and that does not happen without clarity. One one word that I use in that little section there, when you've got clarity and you're looking to, to see, have I got clarity, is it compelling... Uh, I always think that if your message is frictionless, so frictionless is the word you're looking for. If there are little bumps along the way, if there's a barrier, you know, the barrier is the big thing, but if there are little bumps and if it hurts a little bit, if you are like walking, uh, you know, walking over rocks, if it's yeah. just that little bit friction, if there's friction in it, you're not going to want to do it. But if it's frictionless and you go, oh, yeah, I can do that, that's simple, that's yeah. easy, I can do that. Uh, As you say, it it is absolutely their choice, but they go, I'm going to choose to do that because it seems a really good idea, so it seems to be compelling.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And I love the analogy of the little rocks because I'm going back to my own my own example where I didn't actually even have speed bumps. I had chasms and lots of uh, stubbing toe moments for my poor clients and people that were listening. And then as as it smoothed out, you can see the difference. I've been able to see their ability, their understanding it, and then coming across to that, yeah, that makes sense, let's do this. Um, so uh, great great storytelling, great visuals, certainly made it a lot easier um, for me to have my aha moments and have additional learning. Thank you. So great for the, for the viewers and the listeners as well. Now, just as we start to sort of close out, I'm really keen for you to share a little bit um, more as it relates to the uh, Niven Award that you have just won. Um, so just as a bit of a backstory, um, it's a very, very significant award for our speaking industry here in Australia um, and very, very prestigious uh, and also kept uh, well and truly hidden and under wraps until the announcement. Might have had something to do with that, loved every minute of it. Um, so, Gary, can you tell us um, about the Niven Award um, and um, your uh, information of, yeah, I'll let you talk. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Sally. Uh, so uh, so PSA, Professional Speakers Australia, is the peak body for speakers in Australia. Sally, you and I are both members of that. Uh, so Professional Speakers Australia. And we get together and we we have professional development activities and meetings and so on. And once a year we have our uh, annual convention. And uh, last year it was here in Adelaide and, and this year it was virtual because of the travel restrictions. And uh, and we always have on the Saturday night, we always have our gala dinner and awards night. So there are awards given each year for uh, Keynote Speaker of the Year, the person who's been the, the best or the most successful keynote speaker, Educator of the Year, uh, Breakthrough Speaker of the Year. And the main prize, the main award is the Nevin Award. So it's named after John Nevin, who was the uh, founder of Speaking in Australia. And it's actually this little thing you can see right here. I can bring it forward if you like. So... Yes. So this is it—the Nevin Award PSA, and it is the—and it says awards our highest recognition to Gary Edward CSP, that's me. Uh, our highest recognition for outstanding service to the speaking profession. So it's actually an award for service uh, to the speaking to PSA, the organisation, and to the speaking profession. So I, I I was extremely excited and amazed to win it. I had no idea. Um, I actually was convinced that another person had won it. And uh, but I won it essentially, apparently, because uh, for about 20 years, I have uh, served this organization and done what we've been talking about. I I sit down very happily with people. I'm actually doing it again at lunchtime today, uh, sitting down with a speaker who says, can I just have a, you know, an hour of your time? I'll buy you lunch. And can we just chat about stuff and, you know, work out what I want to do? Uh, So I've kind of done that for free, basically, for for the last 20 years. Um, I have a a, a real strong uh, commitment to service. Uh, There is a little saying or a little metaphor in uh, the speaking world, which is that if I have a candle and you've got a candle that isn't lit, I can light your candle from my candle without losing my light so i just uh, feel that there's no point in hanging on to knowledge i've got knowledge and if i can share it with someone who wants to get into the same industry that i'm more than happy to share that now i do sell my knowledge of course that's what i do that's my job um but when it comes to people in the same industry i'm i'm more than happy to share that around so uh, you you knew about this, Sally. Uh, you knew a long time ago, and you didn't tell me. And uh, I was just uh, stunned on the night to receive it. And um, the people who've received it before me are just the greats of the industry. And I am just really humbled to be in there in their company.
0: And um, so, a little bit of a context for our US uh, winners. I, I, I've deemed that it, it's like winning the Golden Globe at the, um, the you know the. Um, emmy awards and those sorts of things so it's the the most significant and it was a total pleasure to be able to keep it from gary for an entire and everybody else for an entire month but yes very very well uh, deserved as you can tell gary's got a wealth of knowledge you can see going across the ticker his contact information his website information so if you're ever needing a hand getting yourself unstuck clear Clarity and determine what your compelling message is, then Gary Edwards is your person to speak to. And um, so, with that, I'd like to thank you very, very much for joining us today, Gary. It was a, a brilliant pleasure to have your inner genius shine so aptly again today. Thank you very, very much. And we'll look forward thank to you, seeing God. our viewers and messages soon. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I trust you got some inspirational tips to move you forward. See you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern for more Success Secrets Exposed.